to Mark chapter number 10. I'm going to preach a one-week message to you today. I'll tell you what, though, all this week as I was studying this message, I was just thinking that this should be a series. But I know next week is Mother's Day. We have a special guest. Mrs. America is going to be here. Cynthia Rosenbarger, she's going to be preaching. Um, So that's my wife, in case you don't know, not the real Mrs. America. She's my Mrs. America, and uh, so she's going to be preaching. So it's just a one-week message today, but I'm so excited about this particular message. And before we jump into Mark chapter number 10, and we're going to read a particular portion of Scripture, I have to go to this verse today, and it's one of those verses that you've heard probably many times But I just couldn't shake it. I I just been reading it over and over again. I want to talk to you today about He is a good God. He's a good God. He God is a good God. And I don't know how you've perceived God over your lifetime. I don't know about your childhood or, or or your religious training background or or anything that you've learned over the years. But I want to tell you today that our God is a good God. He is filled with goodness. Can I get an amen from somebody today? So let's talk about that. And and I want to read a scripture to you that you've probably heard before, but man, the more I read it, the more I think to myself, man, this is a scripture we should be highlighting, quoting. We should be talking about this scripture more and more and more. And, And it's this, Psalms chapter 34, verse eight says this, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you know, I'm a Sunday school kid. I grew up in church, but, and I've heard this verse many times, and some of you may have heard it before, but sometimes we need to just look at it again, and we need to just look at it and, and say, God, what are, what are you saying to me today through this verse? And that's what I did this week, because I was just looking at it, and I thought, wow, taste and see that the Lord is Good. Hallelujah. Man, I could just meditate on that all day long. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is a psalm of David, and David wrote these words. Hey, taste and see that the Lord, he is a good God. Taste, watch this, taste is our experience. Seeing is perception, right? And I begin to look at this verse, and as often as I will do when we, you know, I I go to present these verses in a sermon, I will look at different translations, and sometimes I'll jump into a paraphrase, and and I saw one, and I, I just read it, and I thought, well, that's not exactly how it should be. And so there's a, there's a paraphrase out there that's very popular. I've used it many times. I'm not preaching against it. It is the Message Bible, and sometimes I will put the Message Bible up on the Scriptures. I always preach out of the New King James, and I use the New Living Translation a lot, but just so you know, the Message Bible is a paraphrase. It is not a translation, and there's nothing wrong with that. It is one man's paraphrase, Eugene Peterson. He wrote this, but I think when he 
took Psalms 34 verse 8, and when he paraphrased it, I think he did it somewhat of an uh, uh, injustice because it's not exactly the, the correct way I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to look at this verse. And so when Eugene Peterson wrote in the Message Bible, he said these words, open your mouth and taste, open your eyes and see. Now you say, well, pastor, what's, what's wrong with that? I believe that when the Holy Spirit impressed upon David to write the words, taste and see, he was not talking about two different experiences. He was not talking about two different options. It was not, you have the option, number one, to taste, and then you have another option to open your eyes and see. And that's kind of how Eugene Peterson treats this particular verse. It's almost like it's two different things. It, It is separate. But I believe that when the Holy Spirit impressed upon David to write the words taste and see, it was one particular option you were given. The moment you tasted, your eyes were opened and you could see the goodness of God. Can I get an amen from somebody? That's how I believe we're to read this particular verse. It is once you have tasted your perception of who God is. Once you have, what's this, experienced him, everything changes, right? Have you ever tried to get somebody to taste something? I do that all the time, all the time. Honey, you got to try this. Nope, no. And people try to do it with me. You know, I have certain things that, that I, I, just, I just avoid because I believe they're from the devil. And one of those is hummus and the other one is black-eyed peas. Those... Two particular items, I believe, are from the devil. First, hummus. No way. No, no, no. I've actually tasted it, thinking it was butter, and that is a sin, if there ever was one, for somebody to put something on the table that looked like butter and made me try it, and I spread it all over a piece of bread, and it doesn't matter how good the bread is, you ruined it with the hummus. I don't even know what hummus is, but it's not not good, okay? And then Black-eyed peas are obviously evil. If you look at them, you know that they're terrible. They smell terrible. They're just, it's a vile, vile, vile form of beans. But, but I have news for you that once you have tasted God, you don't have to then choose the option to open your eyes and see. Once you have experienced him, Your eyes are automatically open. Come on now. Once you have experienced the goodness of God, you can't help but tell people about his goodness. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, yes, I know I have experienced his goodness, then there should be something inside of us that you want others to see it. Hallelujah. That's why when I come into worship and we're singing, even this morning, Jesus, it has always been you, it always is you, and always will be you. I can hardly contain myself because I have tasted of his goodness and my eyes have been opened. I have now a perception of a God that is not angry. He is not mad at me. He is not distant. He is not inactive. He is alive and he is involved and he is not mad at me. He loves me. He always will love me. There's nothing I can do to ever separate myself from his love and his goodness. Somebody say, amen. Amen. He's a good God. 
Hallelujah. He is a good God. And so I want us to start today with the understanding that if we taste and see his goodness, right? You say, well, what made David write these words? Well, if you look in just a few verses before verse 8, you'll see what caused him to say these things. In verse number 6, he says this, This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Come on now. The angel encamps around those who fears him and delivers him. And then it's like David just couldn't take it anymore, right? The very next words, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Hallelujah. In other words, David said, I was bankrupt spiritually, not, not financially, it had nothing to do with money, but spiritually I was so empty. Spiritually, I, I was in debt. Spiritually, I had nothing to offer. Spiritually, I was down to zero. But he heard me and he saved me out of all of my troubles. Oh, taste and see that he's good. Hallelujah. What's your reason to declare to somebody to taste and see that the Lord, he is good? Huh? There has to be something on the inside of us that says, yes, I serve a good God. Huh? I serve a good God. I don't know about your religion. I don't know what you're chasing after. I don't know uh, about what you're worshiping. Come on, that's what we should be saying to our friends. I don't know why you're chasing after those things, but I'll tell you this. Everything else I've tried has left me empty, but once I tasted God, I found out that he is good, good, good. He is a good God. Amen? Amen. And then we go to the New Testament and we look in Mark chapter 10 at a particular account of Scripture and we find that there was a man who was after God. He wanted eternal life. And in Mark chapter 10, we find an account, a story. We find a confrontation between God and what the Bible labels as a rich young ruler. And if you've ever read this portion of scripture in Mark chapter 10, you will, you'll find that, that many people use these particular verses to talk about sacrifice and they talk about, hey, surrendering all. They talk about letting go of things and, and following after him, taking up our cross. And we use these verses as a sign that it's going to cost you to serve God. And, and I believe that all of that is true, but I would offer you today maybe a different perspective on this particular story. When we read this account, what I have looked at is I don't see just sacrifice or just letting go or just just, hey, God telling somebody to take up their cross and follow him. What I see in these particular verses is a sign of God's goodness. And the goodness of God, watch this, is about to be put on display in Mark chapter 10. And it starts in verse number uh, 17. It says this, now as he was going out on the road. This is, of course, speaking on Jesus. One came running and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Now watch this. In the book of Matthew, you'll see a highlight 
that says Jesus counsels the rich young ruler right before verse 17. And so we don't know a lot about this young man. We do know several things about him. He was young because the Bible says he was young and he was rich. He had influence. So watch this. He had youth, he had wealth, and he had fame or status. It's what everybody's chasing after. They're chasing after their youth. They're chasing after wealth. They're chasing after fame or status or influence. I mean, if you have those three things in life, society and culture will tell you you've got it all. You've got your health. Huh? You've got money and and you've got status. You've got influence. I mean, you've got the corner office. You've got everything that you would ever want. Yet this young man in his emptiness, in his effort to fill the void of his life, he comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, good teacher, now watch this, here's the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I've got my youth, I've got money, I've got influence, and I want it to last forever, forever. And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? There is no one good but God. Now, I'm here to tell you that every word that Jesus says, he says in response to the question. See, many people will think that Jesus avoided the question with the first statement, huh? No, I'm here to tell you that when Jesus said, why do you call me good? He is answering the question of eternal life. He's answering that exact question. He starts by directing this young man to the word good. Why do you call me good? There is no one good but God. So do you recognize me as just another teacher, just another one who would try to instruct or interpret or tell you about the do's and don'ts, or do you see in me, this is what Jesus is saying to him, do you see in me something bigger, something greater than just a teacher? Do you see in me that there is a goodness that is reserved for God and God alone? Now, why do you call me good? Nobody is good but God. So either I'm God or I'm just like anybody else. Come on now. And let's get to the business of eternal life. Eternal life. Because he's about to show this young man his goodness. His goodness in offering this young man eternal life. You see, I would say to you that the entirety of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every parable, every healing, every miracle, every teaching, every sermon can be wrapped up in Psalms 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. In fact, every time you read the Gospels, 
through every verse, through every chapter, you're going to find that this is God saying to us, saying to our culture, saying to society, saying to the world, listen, I sent Jesus so that you can experience my goodness. Every time Jesus took a step, every time he walked, every time he opened his mouth, every time he stretched out his hand, everything he ever did was our chance to taste and see that God is a good God. Hallelujah. God's a good God. Including this particular portion of scripture right here. Jesus is going to say to this man, hey, why do you call me good? Let me show you goodness. You want to see goodness? I'll show you goodness. Because you cannot separate God from his goodness. And so Jesus says to him these words. You know the commandments. Verse 19, do not commit adultery. Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And verse 20 says, and he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now, these are the last six commandments. And the Ten Commandments can be divided up into our relationship with God and our relationship with man. And the final six commandments are our relationship with man. The first four commandments are all about our relationship with God, right? And so Jesus takes him to the final, the the last six commandments that have everything to do with our relationship with our fellow man. And he says back to Jesus, I have kept all of these commandments since my youth. Now, I don't know whether I believe him or not, right? But that's what he's saying. I've never lied. I've never stolen. I've never done any of these things that that have been listed. I've kept all six of the last commandments. All of those. But watch it. Because Jesus is still, watch, he's still answering the question of eternal life. But listen, he's still putting his goodness on display. Right? He's still putting his goodness on display. And so Jesus says to him, watch this. Then Jesus, looking at him, watch this, loved him. He had compassion on him. He felt for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. Now watch how I, watch how I look at this verse. What Jesus is actually saying is taste and see. Taste and see. See, we look at this as verses uh, of sacrifice. We look at it as, as how many of you this morning, if I was to say, listen, I'm going to invite you down to the altar. I'm going to offer you today the prayer of salvation. I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to believe that God is going to save you. God is going to deliver you. God is going to bring you to heaven. You're going to live forever with him. But there's just one cost involved. You have to sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. And then you come and you follow me. Right? Now listen, we take up offerings, but we've never taken up an offering like that. I mean, we've taken up some offerings before. I mean, we've done the 50-50 project and, you know, we've said, can you give $10 a month? I mean, really, can you give 10 a month? Can you give 20? Can you, can you give, you know, we, we, tithing? And, and but Jesus actually says to this man, I want it all. 
Not a tithe, not 50%, not 75, not 90. I don't want you to keep one thing. Jesus is offering this man his goodness. He's saying to the man who trusts in his money, who's holding on and refusing to let go, who is unwilling to take himself off the throne and put Jesus on it. See, it's really not about stuff, right? Because it's nothing to do with stuff. It's not about how much stuff you have or don't have. It's about who's on the throne of your life. And for this man, he, was, he said, no, 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 I, that's my money. I, I say when, I say how, I say how much. I, I want complete control over it. I want complete control over my life. I'm unwilling to let go. And what Jesus is saying there, you have trusted in the wrong thing. You've tasted of your youth. You've tasted of your wealth. You've tasted of your leadership, your influence. And you have come up empty. That's why you're coming to me. In all those things, you've never found what you're really looking for. Now, I'm offering it to you. Do you see? I'm offering to you. Jesus didn't require everybody to sell everything that they have. If you look at his account, when he has a one-on-one chat with a guy by the name of Zacchaeus, one of my favorite people in the Bible, he says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house, and Zacchaeus says to him, I'm going to give away half of my stuff, and I'm going to pay back those that I've stolen from, and Jesus said, salvation's come to your house, right? And and he didn't require that of, of, of everybody, but what he did say to this man is you have to get rid of everything because you are tasting of the wrong things. Now, if you would just taste and see that the Lord, he is good, huh? Peter didn't sell everything, Huh? James and John, they didn't sell everything. They still had a house to come to, back to. Huh? Peter went back fishing. He still had an enterprise. If you just taste and see that the Lord, he is good though. Huh? See, this was an offer. This particular scripture, I look at it and I go, this is an offer to taste and see God's goodness. I want to just give you a couple things to, to think about today as we talk about the goodness of God, just to write them down real quick. And the first one is this, he's not the author of your storm. And we have to start with that one because maybe somewhere along the way, either you were exposed to a a, a false teaching, a bad teaching, or, or somehow you've had an experience that is not what you see in the Bible. And so you think to yourself somewhere that God authored the storm. And if you think for one minute that God is the author of the storm, then you will not do anything to remove the storm from your life. But if you believe that God is not the author of your storm, then you will, like Jesus, stand up at the bow of the ship and say, hey, wind, waves, you have to go. I'm declaring over my life peace in Jesus' name. See, he's not the author of your storm. No, he's not the author. He will allow storms into our life, but he's not the author of our storm. He will allow us to go through things 
that will, that will cause our, our faith to grow, that will build in us perseverance and patience and the fruit of the Spirit. He will allow those things, but he's not the author of our storm. He wants us to exercise our faith to declare that the wind and the waves, those things have to be removed in our life. Amen. The second thing you need to know is this. The goodness of his nature means that I can trust him when I cannot see the outcome. I said the goodness of his nature. It is in his DNA, so to speak. What I mean by that is this. God is always good. And in his goodness, he moves, he operates Every scripture in the Bible, everything he's ever done for you, he is good all the time. He can never, ever operate outside of his goodness. Do you see what I'm saying here today? And so that means that even when you cannot see the outcome, you don't know how things are going to turn out. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm facing some issues. I'm looking at some circumstances and I cannot see God in them. I just have to trust him. And let me tell you, you can trust him today because even though you cannot see what's going to happen, you can put your trust in a God that is good. He's good, right? He will never, ever, ever operate outside of his goodness. Listen, I've met some good people. I've got some good people in my life. I kind of consider myself a pretty good person myself. But I've got thoughts that come. I've, I've lifted up my voice in anger. I've done things I shouldn't have done, said things I shouldn't have said. I have, I have operated Many times outside of my goodness. I mean, you know, if you've got kids, you know. If you've never done that, praise the Lord for you. But I'm telling you right now, I have blown it a time or two. God has never, can never, it's impossible for him to operate outside of goodness. So everything, every plan he has for you, every day that he has ordained for you, every step that he is sitting there going, I just want you to take this step. Every door that he opens for you is a good door. Amen. It's in his nature. That means you can trust him today. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I just trust God. Come on now. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I just trust that God is going to cause it to work out. Amen? The Bible even says that he's able to take what the enemy has given us and turn it for our good. Hallelujah. Amen? And the third thing is this. His correction is proof of his goodness, not his displeasure. Not his displeasure. If he loves you, he corrects you. It's not a sign of his displeasure. To say that, that he's a holy God. It's not a sign of his displeasure to say that, that God wants sin removed from our life. It's not a sign of his displeasure that God says that that stuff has to go. The selfishness, the self-centeredness, the, the thoughts that are contrary to his plan and his purpose. It's not his displeasure that says to us those things have to go. It is his goodness on display. Mike Bickle, Pastor Mike Bickle, he said these words. He said, all of God's judgments are aimed at whatever interferes with his love. Did you hear me now? 
All of his judgments are aimed at whatever interferes with his love. And sin interferes with his love. Huh? And habits interfere with his love. And thoughts that are contrary, that lead us down the wrong path, they interfere with God's love for us. And so God wants us to remove those things, but it's in his goodness he does that. Now listen, I don't know how long it took you to get dressed and drive over here today, but that was worth it right there. That you need to know that God is a good God. He's a holy God. He is a just God. He wants you to take a step up, not backwards. He wants you to move forward. And he is screaming at us today saying, hey, I'm a good God. I love you today. And I want that stuff removed from your life so that you can live inside my will, my purpose, and my plan. Hallelujah. That's a good God. Amen. I got good news for you today. Listen, God's not up there angry. No, no, no. He loves us and he's a good God and he wants to bless us. But we just need to taste and see that the Lord, he is good.